0: continue it on over the next few weeks, and then I'll pick it up again and uh, when I'm back from uh, from holidays. Uh, just a reminder, while I'm away, uh, Mark and Isaac will be around, so please make sure if you have any uh, pastoral needs, you uh, let either of those guys know, and you can contact them through the office phone number here or via email. The, their details are in the new, uh, the newsletters there too. All right? So yes, here we are. This uh, message about the, uh, the... or this new preaching series about the Holy Spirit, and one of the things which is sort of uh, just, um, I guess help us sort of lean more into in this direction and, and, and head down this path on teaching about the Holy Spirit is that generally speaking I found that in the church today there, t- there tends to be or appears to be a lack of uh, a real lack of knowledge about what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit and particularly about the importance of his ministry not only in the life of his church but in the life of, of us as followers of Jesus. I guess in my own experience uh, in um, particularly uh, having been in conservative Baptist churches over the past 30 or so years, you know, the Holy Spirit is often recognised and spoken of, but we've tended to focus more so primarily on the, on the work of God the Father and God the Son, in a sense forgetting the work of God the Holy Spirit. Although we certainly hold, many of us, to a Trinitarian understanding of God, or at least I hope we uh, hold to a Trinitarian understanding of God, in many ways, and particularly, again, in, in conservative circles, we've practically ignored much of the role of the Holy Spirit in the church and in believers' lives. In some instances, what we've done is we've effectively reframed the Trinity to be instead of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, to be God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Bible. Much of our hesitancy, I think, surrounding the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit comes about through fear. Many of us have seen excesses of some of those who have placed an emphasis on the, uh, those, the, um, those supernatural ecstatic works of the Spirit, particularly things in speaking of tongues and healings and other miracles. And we've seen the excesses of those and the damage that has caused in churches. But I do wonder, though, whether or not our fear, or in our fear, we've actually neglected something which ultimately is of extreme importance in living out our faith as followers of Jesus and being effective witnesses for him in our world. Of course, I'm speaking there about the power that only comes from the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, folks, I'm convinced today that there are many, many believers who are struggling in their Christian walks because they're not giving a proper, biblically prescribed place to the person and work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Uh, Andrew Murray, the uh, the famous 19th century theologian, evangelist and pastor, has this to say about He says, he, he grieves, he says, "'They do not know what it is day by day to wait in lowly reverence "'for the Holy Spirit to deliver them from the power of the flesh.'" And to maintain the wonderful presence of the Father and the Son within them. He was talking back in the, uh, as I said, in the, uh, in the early 19th century. But the same can be said about us as followers of Jesus today. That we fail to know and that we, uh, we, we struggle to know what it is day by day to wait in lowly reverence for the Holy Spirit. To deliver us from the power of the flesh and to maintain the wonderful presence Of the Father and the Son, of the Father and the Son within us. Jesus says in John 7 these words, John 7 verses 37 to 39, he says, If anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, or out of his belly, literally out of the depth of his being, will flow rivers of living water. And the Apostle John then goes on to point out this. He says, "'Now this Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, "'whom those who believed in Jesus were to receive.'" In other words, John is pointing out here that Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit would bring about in the uh, would bring about in the lives of His followers a, a new a spiritual life, a quality of life that overflows in them and brings not only life to them but also life to those around about them. And the question I'd ask myself as i preparing this message this week, as i reflecting on those particular verses, was this. Could my spiritual life be characterised in such a way that there are river, literally rivers of living water flowing out from me through the power of the Holy Spirit? I wonder, could you say the same about your spiritual life? Could it be characterised in this way? Because, of course, Jesus wouldn't say that if it wasn't true for his followers. Over the next several weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking a renewed look at the Bible to see what it has to say about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And hopefully in doing so, my prayer is it will give us all not only a broader knowledge and understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit, but will also result in perhaps a discovery or even a rediscovery of a renewed spiritual power in our lives a spiritual power that results in a greater love for and obedience to Christ and which helps us experience in a deeper in a deeper way the joy that comes from having a relationship with God of course when it comes to a series on the holy spirit the question is always going to be where do you start where do you start I mean, we could start with the first mention of the Holy Spirit back in Genesis 1, as the Spirit is, is active in the role of creation. And not Pastor Isaac will be speaking about that in a few weeks' time. Or well, then we could also start at the beginning of the Spirit's work in the church, at Pentecost in Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples there for the first time in power and indwelled them. Course, that was the first wasn't the first time that the holy spirit had appeared on followers of god we see the holy spirit coming on on on, this, on followers of god throughout the old testament but at pentecost the holy spirit came upon them in a new way where it actually indwelled them for forever whereas in the old testament times we see the holy, holy spirit only coming upon the people of god for a certain amount of time for a period of time in order to be able to do what god wanted them to do just wanted to clarify that For the purpose of this series, what we've elected to do is to take a uh, a, a systematic theological approach. Okay, that's a bit of a technical term, I know. But what we're going to do is we're going to begin with with looking at the Holy Spirit. We're going to kind of hopefully um, start with who the Holy Spirit is, and then build on that over these next seven weeks. Okay, in a systematic way. So that's what we're looking at, at doing over this seven-week series. And to help us in this today, as we look to to look uh, at who the Holy Spirit is, we're going to begin in John's Gospel, uh, chapter fourteen, verses fifteen to twenty-six. So if you've got your Bibles there, you might like to turn with me. John 14. We can, as I said, comm- commencing at verse 15. If you haven't got your Bibles there, you can follow along with me on the screen behind me. These are the words of Jesus to his disciples. This is in the context of Jesus is, is uh, uh, hours away from, uh, from being arrested and being put on trial and being crucified. And he is uh, seeking to prepare his disciples for what's about to come and assure them that uh, he will be with them and that they can have a confidence and a trust in, 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 what, in, in him and, and particularly in light of all that's going to take place but that he wants to assure them that, uh, that he is always going to be with them in some way or another. And Jesus says in, in, in John 14, verse 15, he says, "'If you love me, you will keep my commandments, "'and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper "'to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, "'whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. "'You know him.'" For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is the word of the Lord. In this passage, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit a few times as a helper. One who is given to his followers, Jesus' followers, by himself and God the Father. Jesus, in verse 16, there refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. And we are told that he will teach the disciples all things and bring to their remembrance all the things that Jesus had taught them. We see that at the end of that section in verse 26. As you go through this, uh, this priestly prayer of Jesus in John 14 through to 17, you also see that, uh, that he refers to the Holy Spirit as helper on a few other occasions as well. In, in John 15, 26, he's, he refers to the Spirit as helper, And he says there that the Holy Spirit will bear witness about Jesus. And again in John 16, verses 7 to 8, he is again referred to as the helper who will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as this helper. Now, you might have a different uh, uh, translation in your Bibles. It might actually say, counsellor or it might say comforter or, or, or advocate. And of course, all these things are actually speaking of the same kind of ministry of the Holy Spirit. It comes, that word helper actually comes from the, 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 the word in the original language, the, the Greek language that the New Testament was originally written in, is the word paraclete. And it means this. It means one who is called alongside to encourage, to assist, to intercede for. In other words, to be a close friend. Jesus says, this will be the ministry of the Holy Spirit, this, this helper, this counsellor, this advocate, this comforter, this one who will not only come alongside, but as he says there, uh, that he not only will be with you, but he will be in you as followers of Jesus. This term helper, the first thing we, that's the first thing we recognise about the Spirit in this passage, that he will be a helper to the followers of Christ, a close Called alongside friends. As we look at this passage, also we, see, we also discover about the Holy Spirit that he is a person. Did you notice that Jesus uses the personal pronoun, he, when he speaks about the Holy Spirit? I've heard in many instances uh, in, the ch- in churches over the years, the Holy Spirit re- being referred to as it. Can I say the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force like, you know, Star Wars, okay? May the force be with you, that kind of thing. The Holy Spirit is not this impersonal force, but the Holy Spirit is a person. We do not refer to him as it, we refer to the Holy Spirit as he, because he has indeed the attributes of a person. The Holy Spirit has knowledge, which he is able to communicate to us and teach us. Look at John 14, 26. It says this, it says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, we see again this aspect of the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. It says, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit, capital S, who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are indeed spiritual. The Holy Spirit has knowledge, able to teach us, but the Holy Spirit also, we see in Scripture, has emotions and feelings. In Ephesians 4.30, the Apostle Paul writes, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In this verse here, the Holy Spirit is pictured as a person who sees clearly all that we do in our lives, who hears all that we say, who knows our thoughts and our motives, and who is grieved by that which is in contrast to the holy life with which he seeks to empower us to live in bringing glory to God. The Holy Spirit has emotions and feelings. The Holy Spirit we see in Scripture also is represented as one who prays. Romans eight twenty six says, Likewise, the Spirit, again, capital S, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In Acts 5, we're told that the Holy Spirit can be lied to. In Matthew 12, we're told that the Holy Spirit can be blasphemed against. All of these things you cannot do to some impersonal force in the universe. It is all these things are done in the context of personhood or personality. And so therefore we recognise the Holy Spirit is indeed a person. And folks, can I say it is of utmost importance that we understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, The uh, famous writer R.A. Torrey puts it this way. He says, if we think of the Holy Spirit as many do, as merely a power or influence, our constant thought will be this. How can I get more of the Holy Spirit? How can I control this force? Or how can I get more of this force for myself? But if we think of the Holy Spirit in the biblical way as a divine person, our thoughts will instead be this. How can the Holy Spirit have more of me? How can the Holy Spirit have more of me? Tory goes on to write I can think of no thought more humbling or more overwhelming than the thought that a person of divine majesty and glory dwells in my heart and is ready to use even me. We see the Holy Spirit is a person. But not only is the, the Holy Spirit just a person; He is the divine person, a divine person. In other words, He is God. Here in this passage, Jesus says to His disciples that He will send them another helper. Look at verse sixteen again. He says, "I, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper." That word "another" uh, again in the original language can be uh, is it, often. Um, uh, two words are used to uh, to speak about a helper. One of them uh, refers to a helper as, or uh, sorry, one of them refers to another as being another of a different kind. Okay, so for instance, um, if I was to come today and I was to hand you all out a, a chocolate bar, like I gave the kids last week. All right, and I gave everyone a chocolate bar, but uh, but they were um, one of them was a uh, was um, a Cadbury uh, plain plain Cadbury bar, but another one was of a bar that was filled with perhaps I don't know what's your favourite cherry ripes that sort of thing. Okay, it's it, it's kind of chocolate, but but they're different, aren't they? it's of, it's, it's of a different kind. Whereas if I gave everyone the same chocolate bar, the, the, the plain little Cadbury bar, then it would be the same, it would be the same in essence and character as the one that, that we all have. And that's what Jesus is referring to here. This another is of the same essence and character. And so what Jesus is saying here is that word another actually is speaking about the fact that when Jesus goes away from his followers through his death and resurrection and ascension, that he will actually send them this helper who will be just like him, of the same essence of Jesus. That is, speaking of Jesus' deity as God. Jesus is saying, I will come to you, but I will come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit, and he will be just like me. And this Helper, we are told, will be with them forever, hinting again at the Spirit's eternality. You now, when we speak about the Spirit, we can know that the Spirit is indeed uh, God because of the fact that the Spirit has the four characteristics of Deity. He has omniscience, that is, in other words, the spirit is all-knowing. and a verse that you might like, want to look up later for that is First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Not only is the Holy Spirit all-knowing, the Holy Spirit is also all-powerful or omnipotent. And we see that in Luke chapter one and verse 35. He is also omnipresent. In other words, he is everywhere present or all-present. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10, speaks about that. Where can I go from your presence? Nowhere. Doesn't matter where I go, the Spirit of God is there. And, of course, the eternality, which we see here, speaking of the fact that the Spirit of God will be with the disciples forever, but we also see that in Hebrews 9, verse 14. So there are some verses that you can look up a bit later on about the deity of God, the the godness of the Holy Spirit, All of these can be applied to the Spirit, and we'll see more of this as we progress in this series over the next several weeks. Not only is the Spirit our helper... Not only is he a, a, a person, a divine person, God, but also here we need to understand that the, 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 in speaking of the deity of the Holy Spirit, the godness, if you like, of the Holy Spirit, we need to understand that he is indeed the third person of the Trinity. Isaac mentioned this to the kids this morning, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In this passage, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will be given by both he and the Father. Again, in John fifteen twenty six, if you just turn over the page, it says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit comes from Jesus and from God the Father. Now, can I say that the Trinity is almost impossible for us to get our finite minds around? But what we need to understand about the Trinity is this. Regardless of how we sort of, can sort of try to reconcile it in our heads, we need to make sure that we understand these truths about the Trinity, for God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is that God is one God, but he is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all three persons of the Trinity comprise the one perfectly unified God. They share the same nature and essence. They are all the same God, but each individual person of the Trinity is distinct and unique. If you can get your heads around that, come and see me afterwards. I'd love for you to explain it to me. Over the years, if people have tried to grasp this concept of the Trinity, they have fallen into various heresies, which we need to be careful of. The first is the heresy of modalism, which basically says that, yes, God is one, and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are just different modes of the one God. The problem with this heresy is that it denies the triune nature of God, the the threeness of God. In, 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 this, in this unity together. It speaks of God just in different modes, that God kind of just showed himself in this mode uh, at this particular point in time or this mode at a different point in time. The second heresy that we need to not fall into is the heresy of tritheism. In other words, we understand God to be three separate gods. Uh, today, uh, proponents of, who hold to this kind of thinking are Mormons. Another, another heresy regarding the Trinity was the, the, Arianism, the, the uh, heresy of Arianism. Uh, back in the 4th uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, century, uh, this man called Arius, who denied the deity of Jesus, he said that Jesus was in fact just a created being. And so we need to understand when we're getting our heads around the Trinity that we, we don't only confuse uh, things about the Holy Spirit, but we can also can be confused about Jesus' personhood as well. Those who deny who, who, who follow this line today who deny that Jesus uh, is indeed God, uh, are the Jehovah's Witnesses they believe that Jesus is just a created being, and then the last one is uh, is Docetism. I've just covered the main four here this morning, and they basically deny Jesus's humanity. In other words, they say yes, Jesus is indeed a, a God, but he but he did not come in human flesh. Uh, Christian scientists, for instance, believe that, sort of, that, that kind of uh, heresy today. And then we have groups like the Christadelphians who deny the Trinity and believe that the Holy Spirit is just a force of God, like you know that Star Wars kind of force, that he's not a distinct person of the Godhead. All of these things we've got to be careful not to fall into. We need to understand that God is indeed one God, but three persons. Distinct, yes, individual, yes, but also united together in the one, in the one God. All three persons of the Trinity have the same essence, they have the same nature, and they have the same glory. But each one also has different roles or activities when it comes to how God relates to the world. The Bible makes it clear that there's a voluntary subordination within the Godhead with respect to the roles that they perform in creation and God's plan of salvation. So we see in 1 John 4:10, that the Father sent the Son into the world, and that those roles are never reversed. It's never the Son sending the Father. Likewise, the Holy Spirit, as we see in this passage, is sent by Jesus and proceeds from the Father to testify about Jesus Christ. We see that Jesus perfectly submitted himself to the will of the Father and that the Holy Spirit is subordinate both to the Father and the Son. And yet we'll we'll see in this series that in Jesus' earthly ministry, that Jesus lived, taught and worked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I understand today that this has been a very kind of a teaching session, but I needed to set the groundwork first in order for us to get the most out of this series over the next several weeks or so. The thing that we can take, or well, a couple of things that we can take away from, this, from, this, uh, from this, this morning is this. So I just want to share this with you just as we finish up and as we come around our communion time today. It's this, that as we look at the person of the Holy Spirit and we see the work of the Holy Spirit in conjunction with the work of the Father and of the Son, we see that God desires not only to direct and lead his people, but he desires to be with his people. Not only that, God desires to be in his people. Look at verse 17 again. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. So that's verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And the verse before that, he speaks about the fact the Holy Spirit will dwell with you, but he will be in you. God's desire is not only to direct his people but his desire to be is to be with his people and to be in his people and folks there is no closer relationship than that is there can you imagine the god of the universe the one who created all things desires to be that close to us to indwell us to be within us. His desire is not to leave us in this world as orphans. In other words, fatherless. God desires to be with us and to be a father to us and for us to be his children. And living within us by his spirit, God has assured us of his presence with us forever. In all of life, God has promised not only to be in us but also to provide for us by dwelling within us this helper through his indwelling Holy Spirit. It's great to be able to rely on those around about us. For those of you who have got a... uh, a wonderful and faithful marriage partner in life, what a blessing it is to have that person. For those of you who have got close friends, friends whom you're able to, to journey through life together with and to know that they've always got your back, to, to know that they, they don't judge you or anything like that, but they're just willing to love you for who you are no matter what and are willing to stand with you and everything, what a great blessing it is to have those kind of people in our lives. But yet God says that I will be with you and in you as your helper. For us to get our minds around that, to know that God, the all-powerful, all, you know, the all-present, the all-knowing, the all-eternal God, is with us, in us, as His followers for those who put their faith and trust in Christ, that is just mind-blowing, isn't it? And that as he dwells in us, his power is available to help us in any and every situation we face in life through his personal presence with us. The Holy Spirit helps us to know the things of God, making his word clear. The Holy Spirit gives us the, the ability to obey the commands of God, thus assuring us that we belong, we truly belong to him. The Holy Spirit reminds us of our adoption as sons of God, children of God. Look, John, 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us, that we might be called children of God, and that is what we are, children guaranteed of our place in God's family because of Christ's uh, perfect sacrifice on the cross through our faith and trust in him, but also because God, through our faith and trust, then places within us his spirit, who is his seal of ownership on us, Ephesians 1. So as we close here today, let me ask you this. Do you have the spirit of God? Do you have the Spirit of God? You can be certain of having the Spirit of God by this. If you're not sure about the fact that the Spirit of God lives in you and, uh, and dwells within you, then you need to first of all come to the point of, know- of knowing what, it- what is your response to Jesus Christ? Because we need, firstly, in order to get the Spirit of God for ourselves, for the Holy Spirit to come into us, we first of all need to be people who have put our faith and trust in Jesus as Saviour. We need to confess our need for God. We need to turn from our sinful and selfish ways and recognise that God's ways are the only true ways. We need to accept Jesus by faith as our saviour, the one who died for our sins in order to reconcile us to God. And we need to have that desire in our hearts to want to follow him in love and obedience. Do you notice all through this passage you hear these words? If you love me, you will obey my commands. It's not talking about a works righteousness here. It's not talking about the fact that if we obey God's commands enough, then, then God, will, you know, God will be favourable to us. No. What it's talking about here is those who truly love God will, will see the work of the Holy Spirit within us, helping us to obey his commands. It's a result of our salvation, not the cause of our salvation. So have you accepted Jesus as your saviour? Have you trusted in him to be the one who has paid for your sins? And have you turned away from your old life and turned towards God? If you have, you can be confident that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. I want to close with our our time this morning with a a prayer again from from Andrew Murray. And as I pray this, I ask the stewards might like to come forward and uh, those who are serving on the table this morning. And I've, I've, I've taken um, Andrew Murray's Old English, by the way, and I've kind of tried to put it in modern language, so it's a bit easy to understand, all right? It says this, the prayer is this. Blessed Lord Jesus, our souls praise you for your precious promise that the Holy Spirit will live in us. In all humility we ask that you might teach us afresh the fullness of, of the meaning of this wonderful promise. We ask that we might see and understand how near your love comes to us and how completely and intimately you give yourself to us in the person of your spirit. Nothing gives you greater satisfaction, Lord, than to make your dwelling place with us, to be the life of our lives. And to this end you have sent forth from your glory your Holy Spirit to live in our hearts, to be the power that lives and acts in our inmost being and to give us the revelation of yourself. O Holy Saviour, bring your church to see this truth that has been so much forgotten and lost, to experience it and bear witness to it in power. And may the joyful sound be heard throughout her borders that every true believer has the indwelling and leading of your Holy Spirit. And teach us, Lord, the life of faith that puts aside our own desires and instead seeks to wait upon you as you, by your Spirit, continue to do your work in us. May our lives, from hour to hour, have the humble but joyful awareness that you dwell in us through your spirit. Amen. As we come around this communion table this morning, it is a time where not only do we remember what Jesus has done in order to secure our salvation, but it is a time where we can come and be reminded afresh of... Christ's close presence to us in the person of his Holy Spirit. It's a time today where as we gather around these elements, we're reminded, yes, of of the love of God for us in Christ who gave his life as an atonement for our sins, but it is also speaking of the communion that is now available to us with this holy God. We've referred to it as communion. Communion. It is a a, a time of communing with God. And I pray that this will be a time, it will be such a time for you this morning as you partake of these elements, as you are reminded afresh of God's love for us, for you as a person. But you will be reminded afresh too of the life to which Jesus has called us a life of obedience and a life of holiness and that he makes that possible through the indwelling spirit within us. Of course, today, Jesus invites all who have put their faith and trust in him as saviour to come and partake of these elements. And that invitation is extended to all today if you have put your faith and trust in Christ if you've not come to that point in your life, I pray that you would just allow these elements to pass by, particularly out of the significance and meaning of what they, what they entail to us today. But that God's desire is not to shut you out, but to draw you in. And so my prayer this morning for you particularly will be this that you will recognise the great love that God has for you in your life and that today you can start a new life in Christ through putting your faith and trust in him as saviour and that you will know that rivers, those rivers of living water welling up and flowing out of you and the joy that comes from that. As we hand out these elements this morning, each of us will come before God in a personal way. And my prayer is that as you spend time with God today, you will either be encouraged afresh in your relationship with him or you will be challenged in your relationship with him. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, today might be the day where you come to that point of surrendering to him and knowing what it is to have life in his name. If you come to that point today, I'd love to speak with you after the service today. If this is the day where God has spoken to your heart, where you have seen your need for God and you have put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time as your Saviour, or maybe today you have, put your faith, you, you, you have rededicated your life to Christ, I'd love to, to see you after the service and pray with you and rejoice with you in that. We have got an amazing God, a God who desires relationship with us today and always. And he's done everything that's needed for that relationship to be possible. Let's praise our God. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you, in your mercy and compassion, sent your Son, the Lord Jesus, into this world, to be the one who would make atonement for sin. And that all who put their faith and trust in him as saviour can know that that their sins are forgiven and that they can enter into this beautiful relationship with you and be filled by your Holy Spirit that you will indwell, indwell in. You will indwell us. To be so near to us. To be our comforter, our counsellor, our helper. Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we praise you in this. We thank you for this. And as we partake of these elements now, we pray that we might be drawn closer to you for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to hand out the elements. I invite you to take the bread to eat that, but we're going to drink the cup together today at the end. And then after that, the uh, the, uh, team will come back and lead us in our last song together of praise and worship and adoration to God.